morning, everybody. Good to see all of you. Uh, as you can see, we're starting a brand new series today. And it's that time of year. One of my favorite times of the year. I, I have to confess the reason why I grew up in a college football town. About 100,000 in population. And just under half the population was the college campus. So it was the only horse in town. It was a one-horse town. And so we get to focus. It's, it's uh, football time. You know, and you may be here and say, you know, one of, the, one of the wives here, I hate football. You mean we're going to talk about football? We're going to talk about football at church? Honey, I'm leaving. Because I can't get any time with my husband because of football. Now we're going to bring football to church? Trust me, it's worth sticking around what you're going to hear today. And uh, life's big question is what we're going to talk about today. Game plan. You know, a lot of teams have been working hard in the off season, And they're thinking, this may be our year. Right? But in order to get there, what do you think they need? They've got to have a plan. And it's got to be a great plan. And they also got to be working together as a team. And they work really hard to come into the season ready. And so my question today for you is, are you ready? Are you ready for a championship season in your life? Because let me tell you, football is exciting. It gets our blood rushing. But it's nothing compared to living life. Far and above all of that is your life and what's happening with your life. See, because the game will come and go, but your life is eternal. And it's very important that we engage. You know, they did a survey not too long ago asking people uh, to answer one question. If you could ask God one question, just one, what would it be? And so they compiled all the answers that people turned in. What do you think was the number one answer or the number one question to the survey that people, if they got one shot, one question, what would it be that people asked God? Will I make it to heaven? That was on the list, but it wasn't number one. What do you think was number one? Exactly. Why am I here? What is your plan for my life? That was the number one answer to the question. What is your plan for my life? That's a huge question. And, you know, a lot of us have gone through that. We've asked the question, you know, what, what is the plan? What are your plans for my life? And we go through many, many years, and, and that was the number one. What do you think the number two was? Is there an afterlife? That's another important question. And we'll get to both of those, but what we're going to focus on for the next five weeks is that first question, what is my purpose here? What's your plan, God? What's your plan for my life? And so, starting out, God, if you have a great plan for my life, what is it? What exactly is it? You know, and I... I, uh, how I got to this question, I started at a very early age, at 16 years old. I started to ask that question because I was kind of wild and crazy growing up in a college town. And, you know, I thought the purpose of life was have fun. 
And the more fun you have, the more you're living life. See, that was what I thought my life's purpose was. Uh, until some things started happening, four of my friends were killed in car accidents, close friends. Uh, a guy who lived two streets from my house, we grew up together, he was killed. So I started asking the question, maybe this life's purpose isn't the right purpose, because people are losing their lives over this. But I continued on that plan until one night, kind of going crazy, I had my own car accident, totaled my dad's car, and it was frightening. It was a near-death experience. And you know, when you get a brush with death, you think about your life. And you start asking yourself a question, what am I doing with my time? See, life's not a game. Life's not a party. Life's serious. You get one shot. And so I started to ask a question, and I walked away from that accident unharmed. And I looked at my, and I, I, I asked myself, I said, why is it that my friends died, and then I walk away? And I came to faith. And my faith was, God, you have a plan for my life. You spared me. You've obviously got a plan for my life. And see, that was my faith. And my parents reinforced it. They would come around afterwards because I would pray and I said, God, thank you for saving my life. And I know you have a plan. How can I fulfill that plan? And they helped me out. My parents said they tried to reinforce the decision to focus on God. And sadly enough, it didn't last too long, but it planted a seed in my, in my heart that I knew I needed to get right with God. You know, and, and many times we ask this question, you know, as I, I graduated from high school, you, then the next question comes, well, you know, and the, you sit down with the counselor and the counselor, you know, okay, so what's going to be your major? As if you're supposed to know the answer to that question, right? What do you want to major in? And right after high school, I wasn't sure. I had some ideas, but I wasn't sure. That's another big question. What do I do with my life? What do I major in? You know, Relationships? Should I date? Should I not? Is she the right person? Is she not? You know, all these questions. Where am I going to live? What am I going to do? How's my, my future? Am I going to have a, a secure future? All these questions. And sometimes when things are hard, we ask God and we look up and say, What is your plan for my life? What am I supposed to be doing down here? And I don't know if that's where you are today. And you want to include it even more complicated when you have kids. Then you're trying to help them navigate their future and their lives. What they're supposed to be doing. And there are a lot of big decisions. And I was faced with this this past summer. You know, if we're coming to the end of the summer. There were a lot of shakeups and changes here in our region. I'm like, okay, so what, what, what do we do? This person's leaving in this situation and that situation. What's your will, God? And I know for a lot of us, life comes at you pretty fast. It's almost like you're the quarterback. And you got the defense coming at you. And here's the, here's the coach, you know, and you see it on every Sunday. You got these, 
these head football coaches and they've got the sheet. It's got all the plays, right? And they even cover their mouth so they're calling the plays so no one can read the plays. But what if you're the quarterback? He's got all the plays and you don't know what the play is. And the defense is moving around and they're going back and forth and they're coming at you with a fury. They'll give you a concussion. What do you do? Do I go this way? Do I pass? Is it, a, is it an option? What do we do here? And that sometimes is what life can be like for us. And we can feel afraid and nervous and anxious about plans for our lives. And today we're going we're gonna to deal with that. It seems like God's plan is more mystery than certainty. You ever felt that? Because we want answers. We want specific answers and we want them now. And what we're going to learn today is God doesn't work that way. And when you read the Bible, it can get even more complicated. You got Noah. What did Noah? He got a, he got a rainbow sign. Right? Moses, what did he got? He got a burning bush. There was even an, an example in the Old Testament where a donkey spoke to one man to give him God's will. And you can feel like, well, am I doing something wrong? God's not speaking to me. He's not giving me any indications of what he wants. And so we can approach life like that, that, you know, do you really have a specific plan for my life, God? And we're going to talk about that this week. And maybe you can relate. You've got some big decisions as we've talked about. A move, a career, a relationship. Should I start this relationship? Should I end this relationship? And, and with your kids, there's a lot at stake right now, and I'm not sure what to do. And I've prayed about it. And I don't have an answer yet. And how do you go about finding out what God's will is for your life? That's what we're going to talk about today. How do you go about finding out what God's will is for your life? And we've got two things we're going to deal with today. A premise and a promise. A premise and a promise. A premise is an assumption. Okay? For some of you that need to know more details. And a promise. The, the premise is, let's say that my parents and I were right when I was 16 that God does have a plan for your, right, for your life. Let's assume that my parents were right, that I was right. That's the premise that we're going to use for the next five weeks. Let's assume that God does have a plan for your life. That's the premise. And then number two, at the end of this series, after five weeks you will have the tools to know what God's plan is for your life. You're going to know how to get your specific answer to that question, that big question, what's your plan for me, God? And you're even going to get an answer today for one of the big questions to what's God's plan for your life. So I hope you're ready to get some answers. Let's open uh, our Bibles, and, and we're going to learn in, in Colossians chapter 1. But before we do that, let's go to God in prayer. Pray with me. Our Father and our God in heaven, we are grateful that we can be here together in your name, and we pray that you'll please open our hearts and let your message uh, speak clearly to us and let it fall on fertile ground so that it can produce much fruit. I pray for our friends that are here with us today that you will 
please uh, use this time today to minister to their faith. And please help us all, God, that you'll help us to live out the plan that you have for our lives. Be with us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's a, you know, that premise that I talked about. Let's assume that God does have a plan. What if you're an atheist? What if you're an atheist? This is a a, a very famous quote, quote, because the level of atheism is growing in our society today. In fact, Europe is predominantly atheist now. Or they've got maybe a very, very generic view of God and saying, well, maybe there's a superior being. And very ambiguous and generalized. But let's say you're an atheist. Here's a quote from a very famous atheist. His name was Bertrand Russell. Unless you assume a God, the question of life's purpose is meaningless. Now chew on that for a little bit. What's that say about the value of your life if you're an atheist? What are you worth? What's what's your specific role here on earth? If I were an atheist, that would discourage the heck out of me. You know what it says about what I'm worth? My meaning here on the planet? I'm a zero. I just exist. I'm a coincidence. It just happened. There's no plan. There's no meaning. It just happened. You know, I pity atheists. Because they really, when you break it down, they have no meaning to their life. And you know, we as a people, look at, look at what this verse says in Colossians. It all starts with God. Look at this verse, Colossians 1.16. It says, and this is the message version, it says, For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, everything got started in who? In Him. In God. Or in this case, Jesus is what it's talking about. Everything got started in Him and everything finds its purpose in Him. So who's at the center of finding the plan? Jesus is. God is. And you know, I want to encourage you today if you believe in God and if you're a follower of Christ, I want to encourage you to be excited about what you believe. Because you have a plan, you have a purpose, and God has a specific plan and purpose for your life. Versus if you're an atheist, you got nothing. You are nothing. You are just, you are an organism. Just like everything else that's out there. Just pure coincidence. But see, even at a very young age, I came to face and believed this isn't a coincidence. This is a calling. And for the last 26 years, God has confirmed it over and over again. I care about you specifically. And it's not just me, it's all of us. But what is required of us is faith in that plan. And taking action in that plan. That game plan. So if you've got a few atheist friends, I want to encourage you to ask them and say, hey, So what is the meaning of your life? What are you here for? I know why I'm here. What are you here for? Well, I'm here to multiply and spread 
No, you're not. You're just here. And see, I believe this. A lot of people are atheists, and this has been my experience. They're atheists because they've had some kind of negative event happen in their family with religion. They've had something traumatic happen in their lives that left them bitter and angry at who? Yeah, at God. And so what's the way to get back at God? I deny your existence. That's how I'm going to make you pay. And who pays? Boy, do you ever. You know, and and I've found this true, that atheists aren't really atheists. Even when some of the most famous atheists come to the end of their lives, guess what? They come to faith. Unfortunately, not soon enough. But they start to ask those big questions. What was I doing with my life? Now let's look at all the verses that we did. I did a study last night and I, 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 I hired out some, some different uh, assistants to help me find all the verses in the New Testament that have to do with God's will finish the sentence. These are the ones that came out of the New Testament. This is it. This is the answer. So you're going to get the answer. God's will is, here it is. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in everything. Rejoice always. Submit to authorities. Avoid sexual immorality. To be saved or get saved. Find out how to be saved. And then the last one, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's it. That's God's will for your life. So you can go now. We're done. That's God's will for your life. You know, there's something about this list that makes us feel emotionally unsatisfied. Because it's almost like God is answering our specific questions with what? General moral answers. And that doesn't, that doesn't sit with us. You know, we, I don't know. And so the good news is we're not done. And we've got five more weeks to answer the specifics of your questions to deal with a lot of that. Okay, but this, this is basically the breakdown. And if you were to, to think about this, you know, you go, well, God, you're, you're generalized. God's a generalist. He's giving me answers to my specific questions with general answers. And we're going to use a football analogy. How many have ever heard of the greatest coach of football ever? Any idea? Vince Lombardi. Uh, if not the greatest coach ever, one of the greatest. Anybody know what team he coached? GB, Packers, the Packs, the Pack. Okay? The Super Bowl trophy is named after him, the Lombardi Trophy. Okay? What was so amazing about Vince Lombardi? Vince Lombardi was a fundamentalist. After his first season, the winning season, he won the first and the second Super Bowl. And after that first season, and he had some of the greatest football players in his team, it was like the all-star roster. You got Bart Starr, he was, he was the amazing quarterback. You just think about a room of football players. They're starting their second season, and here's how Vince would start his team meetings. Gentlemen, 
I'm glad you're here. I've got some very, very important. Before we start our season, I've got some very important things to tell you. Okay? Are you with me? You're listening, gentlemen? This is a football. And these, this football has laces across the front of it. And if you place your fingers, just your tip of your fingers just across these laces, when you throw the football, you can throw it with a perfect spiral. When you kick the football, you can kick it in such a way that it will also, when you punt it, it will fly in a perfect spiral. Gentlemen, when the ball hits the ground, it can go in any direction. And he would go on and on, and, and the team's like, are you kidding me? I mean, imagine Bart Starr. He's in the room, and he's going, of course I know what that is. I threw 35 record-setting touchdowns last year. I know what this is. And he said, gentlemen, I want you to take this football, and I want you to pass it around. I want you to just touch it, feel it, put it under your arm like you're running with it. Tuck it. Okay, now pass it to the person next to you. Let them feel it. Let them touch it. Okay, this is very important before we start our season, gentlemen. Oh, we're not going to let everybody touch it. I know the teens back here, they like, I want to touch it. But he would do this. And as they're going around touching the football... He's teaching what? Why did he start out with these fundamental teachings about the football? You see, because if you don't have, and this, this, he was an amazing coach. You can go on YouTube and watch some of his videos. He was a fundamentalist to the umpteenth degree. He would teach his guys how to exactly sit and, and stand in a three-point stance, where to put your arm, your shoulders need to be lined up, and now they don't do that. When they hike the ball, you had to hold it just so... He had to snap it back just so. He was a fundamentalist. He would work on all the basic fundamentals of football like nobody's business. So, Coach, when are we going to get to the plan? Are we going to do an option? Are we going to pass? How's this going to work? Why do you think he spent so much time working on the fundamentals? Because if every single one of us understand the fundamentals of the game, we're all unified, and we're all going to go out on that field, and no matter what play, we got the fundamentals down. And we're all going to be working together in sync. Thinking the same way, walking the same way, and that built championship teams. God is a fundamentalist. And today, we're going to have this is a football talk. For some of you, you're going to go, of course I know that's a football. We're going to have, this is the Bible talk today. And you go, yeah, I know the Bible. I've read the Bible about, you know, five, six times all the way through. I know what it says. I've memorized scriptures. Do you? And are you practicing and living the fundamentals of the game. And see, this is, this is so important for us today that we get this. And we're going to start out with this verse in Colossians chapter 3. 
And this is pretty much the only verse we're going to look at today because it's so important. It's the football. It seems so simple. It seems so basic. But this is the plan that God has for your life. An amazing passage. I'd encourage you to memorize some of it this week if you are bold enough. Look what it says here. This is the Apostle Paul sharing God's plan for us. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on what? Earthly things. I don't know how your week has gone, but you ever notice when you have some bad things happen, it's, feel, it's almost like you feel it right, right back here in the back of your neck. And it presses down on your, on, the, on, your, on your neck and your head goes down. And then after that, your shoulders come forward. And then you start to walk around like this, looking down with your shoulders tucked. What's your focus? What the Bible specifically telling us here is Lift your head, shoulders back. Get your focus on what? Things above, not things below. What stresses us out? What makes our week so heavy and so hectic and and really just runs us down and gives us pain in our back and in in our stomach and, and, and all kinds of problems? Earthly things. You know, you're all starting school here soon. How are you feeling about that? You know, classes begin Tuesday, and, you know, maybe your work's going to start, and you're starting in a new area of your department. How are you feeling about that? And a lot of people, they stress out. And what this passage is, is saying, don't focus on those things. They've got to get done You can take care of them, but that shouldn't be your primary focus. That shouldn't be the thing that you're most focused on. Because they're not going to go well sometimes. They're going to be challenges. You've got to focus on what? What this passage is saying here, on things above. Try to elevate your thinking and your focus on things above, not here. And then we read verse 3 and 4. Look what this says. First three words, for you died. Now Paul is talking to a group of people that when they, they were baptized, they got saved, they became disciples. Literally what happens in conversion is you die, your old self dies, and you're raised to a new life. That's a spiritual transition or change, transformation that takes place. You're transformed. I want to remind you, you, you ever heard of a guy named Lazarus? What did Jesus do for a man named Lazarus in Luke chapter 11? Anybody know? He raised him from the dead. He was dead three days, all wrapped up in a tomb. And Jesus raised him from the dead. And if you read the story, the account you will hear that, you know, Lazarus, because he was resurrected, everybody wanted to see Lazarus. He was like a rock star. 
Everybody wanted to go to his house, and if they had, you know, pizza paper and pens back then, they would have asked for his autograph. But they wanted FaceTime. They wanted to see, so Lazarus, what was it like? You were dead, man. And now you're alive. And it got so intense that the, the buildup, everybody heard about it, and there was one group of people that were furious. They didn't like Lazarus so much. Because basically, Lazarus' resurrection was giving power and authority to who? To Jesus, taking it away from them and giving it to Jesus. They didn't like that very much. So they came together and they made a plan. You know what we're going to do to Lazarus? We're going to kill Lazarus. We're going to take care of our problem. Imagine one of Lazarus' friends coming to him and said, Hey, Lazarus, man, I'm so, so fired up that you're, you're, you're alive and you've been raised from the dead. But i got some bad news for you. The Pharisees, they want to kill you. How do you think Lazarus reacted to that? What do you think his response was? Any idea? Hey, listen, I've already been dead. Been there, done that. What else can they do? I'm not worried about those guys, and I'm not worried about death. My focus from here forward is, guess who? Jesus. Because Jesus raised me from the dead. Not only was it Lazarus, but Lazarus' sister. They invited Jesus over for, for lunch one day and at Lazarus' house. And Lazarus' sister's name's Mary. And he had a, she had another sister and her name was Martha. And so they were getting the lunch all together and Martha is stressing out. You can read about it. She's stressing out, saying, Jesus, can you tell Mary to get her fat hind end up and help me with the, 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 the lunch plants? And you know what Jesus told Martha? He said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and stressed out about earthly things. Mary is focused on eternal things. Because she was sitting right at Jesus' feet, listening, fastened to what he was saying. She had her focus on straight. And he said this, this is awesome. He said, and it will not be taken away from her. And I love that. No one's going to take away my focus. No one can steal my focus from me. If I make a decision to do this and live this way, nobody. Jesus backs her up. He said, Martha, you're stressing. You need to imitate Mary. Well, who's going to take care of lunch? Who's going to, you know, get the bread and, and the tortillas and the frijoles? And who's going to take care of that stuff? You know, and there's times we've got to take care of stuff like that. Well, what should be our primary focus? And that's what he's saying here. And obviously, Lazarus' focus was much different after he was raised. You think he went around worried about life and stress after he was raised from the dead? You think his way of thinking had changed a little bit? 
whether the girl down the street was interested in him or not, and stressing over that in his look, you know, whether his hair came to the side or if he did a middle part or, you know, if he had the, if he had the thick robe or the thin robe or if the, you know, the tight sandals or the loose sandals with a little more sole. You think he was stressing about that? No. Because his whole life had changed. He was raised from the dead. If you're a disciple, you should be like Lazarus. Right? Because you were raised. That's what he's saying. You died and your life now is hidden with Christ in God. You should be different. You know, when I was, I was doing this study, I thought, you know, this would be a really great study for our non-Christian friends. And as I dug in a little deeper, I go, no, I think it's for me. Because I'm stressing. This summer was intense. I worry too much. Instead of just, you know, I'm going to keep my eyes on what's most important. And then it says here, this is, this is huge. When Christ, who is your life. Well, God, what is your plan for my life? What do you want me to do? Where do I, where do I fit in? What's your plan? Should I do this? Should I do that? Should I be this? And what's God's answer to that big question? Here it is. I am your life. I'm your life. The plan is not your life. I'm your life. And see, this is where God meets us where we are and where the things come together is is, is this. He meets us where we are. And when we get this focus that God is the center of my life, He is the focal point, then guess what happens to our future and our plans? They all have a way of working their way out. Everything settles. And then the answers come. And then the dust settles and you go, wow, why was I even stressing about that? It got worked out. And God made His plan clear. And sometimes you've got to go down that journey of not knowing so that you can get your focus on straight with God. And this is, this is the football. Your primary focus in life is not your future. Your primary focus is a person. You see, if you can focus in on God instead of stressing about your future, and we fight this tooth and nail every day, we go through so much stress trying to control our lives, trying to control our future, and this couldn't be more evident in the world. You know, palm reading, card reading, crystal ball readers, all that, it's big business. Horoscopes, it's big business. And there's even a little curiosity with fortune cookies. <laughs> right? You open that fortune cookie, I wonder what it is. And you open it and he goes, oh, you're a nice person and you, it will go well with you. And you go, come on, I need something. <laughs> right? 
People pay a lot of money to know their future and they're stressing over their future. Your life is not about your future. Your life is about a person. See, that's what changed in Lazarus. He got it. He's like, I I got the answer. Jesus is my focus. My eyes are on Him from now on. He raised me from the life. And all the people that saw that happen, they're doing the same thing. They're saying the Pharisees, no, they are not the focal point because they're focused on their future and they're focused on the money and they're focused on the to-dos of religion and they're not focused on the person. I'm focused on the person because He rose Jesus. He rose Lazarus from the dead. I'm with Him. Whatever Jesus says, that's it. Is that you today? Is that your focal point? And that's what I want to give you as as kind of homework today. For this week, I want to encourage you this week to have a special time with God every day. You already do that. Well, I want to encourage you to go a little deeper. And if you're not doing that, I want to encourage you to do that. And I want you to, to lay all those, those stressful things. I mean, i got lists at home of things that have got to get done this week and this project and this meeting and this thing. And when I was going through this lesson, I said, you know what? How about if I start my day just focusing on the person, God? And then I go about doing all those things, but my primary focus is on the person. How do you think it's going to go with all that stuff? It's going to get done. And it usually does get done with a lot less stress. And what happens with that one list that gets done, guess what happens? A new one appears. A couple of phone calls, a couple of emails, a couple of requests. Here's the new one. Even longer than the first one. What's going to help us navigate our families and our lives is when we can focus in on the person rather than on our future. That's what this passage is saying. That is the football talk. And God is saying in this verse, I am your life. I'm it. I'm the center point. I'm your your way of orienting and knowing where to go, how to go. And I would say this, in our church right now, this is a huge need. Because the world is pulling at us all day long. You're going to leave here today and you're going to get pulled with your your vacation. What are you doing next weekend? Where are we going to have lunch? And and she said, he said, and and did you hear about this? And did you hear about that? And and how are you going to admit? And some of you, I just got to say it. Some of you are stressing big time in your life. And you are suffering the hazard of all that stress. You, you, You are not at peace. In your life. And God's trying to say, listen, if you just focus on me, I'm going to help you work out all that other stuff. Now, we could end the series today with this, but I know some of you need more specific answers, so that's why we're going to have the next four weeks. Okay? And you're going to get more tools on how to work out and get the answers to a lot more questions that you have. See, because God cares very specifically about you. You know, and I don't know, some of you don't, you don't remember, but a long time ago they used to have cereal boxes. 
And in those cereal boxes, there would be a prize. Remember that? They still do that? I haven't bought those kinds of cereals, but man, it was big in my, you know, I was a kid. And you wouldn't even care about the cereal. All you would care about is the prize inside. And you would nag your, wear your parents out. Can we get this? Can we get this? And it was trashy cereal. I mean, it was, you know, just white flour with all kinds of, the, 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 the ingredients list was half the box, you know, all kinds of color dye nastiness, you know, but you know what was important? That prize. And man, you would buy the cereal for the prize inside. And I remember you get that box home and you open the box and you, you dig out and you, sometimes you pour all the cereal out into a bowl and we wouldn't have a bowl or we would have a bowl of cereal because the mom said, no, you can't have the prize yet. You've got to have the cereal. So pour four bowls of cereal, eat the cereal. Okay, there it is. You get the prize. Unwrap the prize. And that's how they sold a lot of cereal in my day. What's the point? The point is, if you're a disciple, you have a prize inside of you. You have God's Holy Spirit. And it says here in this verse, if you go back in verse 4, look what it says. He says, for you died and now your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ appears, who is your life? Basically, and, and, and there are other verses that talks about God, God puts his spirit in you. It's the prize inside so that when you're dealing with life, he's in you and he's giving you an inner peace to navigate life's challenges. Now, if you have not yet gotten saved, I want to encourage you to do the Bible studies and, and, and get that done. Because it's, it's without a doubt one of the, if not the, it is the most important will that God has is that He wants all men to be saved. And that includes you. And I appreciate so much some of these young people after teen camp. Let's get it done. I need to get saved. Now that, you know, some of you teens are saved, guess what? You've got a prize inside. And some of you that have been disciples a long time, you've got a prize inside. It's called the Holy Spirit of God. Same Spirit Jesus had. Same Spirit Paul had. I mean, how do you think Paul dealt with death threats every day? He had a prize inside. And as long as he kept his prize focused and filled, he could be overflowing with peace. And be like Lazarus. Okay, do you want to kill me? Go right ahead. Make my day. Because I'm going to heaven to be with God. And that's how they would navigate life's challenges. And this is one of the things that we do. You know, we don't see God as our life. We compartmentalize God. And the reason things get so confusing, so complicated, so stressed, is because we think God is a component in our lives. Instead of Him being the focus. We get so wrapped up in our jobs, our to-dos, our activities, our homes, our bank accounts, our sports, all kinds of stuff. It couldn't be worse than any other time than right now with so many focuses that people have. 
just to the point where you get to that, I, I'm, I'm rest, I got all this stuff done, then they invent something else new to stress you out. A new gadget that you've got to put your attention on and focus on. And God is saying, I am your life, not all this stuff. I'm the primary focus. And I want you to know this, three things. Number one, God loves you. That's a promise. And if you want to, you know, teeter a little bit about how much God loves you, and if you're really significant, let me, let me just settle it, because we're about to settle, celebrate the communion right now. God loves you enough to send His only Son here on this planet to die for you. Nobody, let me tell you, nobody, not your mom, not your aunt, nobody will ever love you that much to go through that much for you. And number two, God is for you. He's not against you. He's on your side. He wants what's best for you. Some of you think going around this negative mindset that, I don't know, God, it just seems like He's against me. No, you're against you. Your focus is against you. God is for you. He's trying to pull you out of all that mess that you've been living in. He's trying to set you straight. You know, those friends that you think you have, that you think, oh yeah, they got my back. Yeah, you wait. And they come, some reason comes along, they will stab you in the back. And they'll turn you back. Only here in the church do we understand the true meaning of friendship. But even here, you know, people can let us down. And God needs to be our primary focus. And number three, God has great plans for you. Well, I want to know what those plans are. Okay, before you go out and win your championship, here's what you need to start the season. This is a football. These are laces. You hold it here. You get my drift? God is your life. He's your focus. He is the primary need. And are you ready for the season? Tomorrow is your first game. Are you ready? You know, and when the first game comes, it's for college football, it'll be Thursday. For, for most of the teams, it'll be Saturday. Let me tell you, man, I, I get fired up on game day. It's just a thing. I like college football. We need to approach life the same way. I get, I get to do things for God today. But start your day out with this is the football. So it starts tomorrow. And this is, my, this is the homework I want to give you. Faith and action. To start your day tomorrow with a focused time of prayer and reading. Reading God's Word. And if you want, if you're visiting here with us, I want to encourage you. There's a great book in the Gospels. It's called the Book of John. You can, you can sit at Jesus' feet just like Mary did. And hear Him share his conviction about God. Isn't that awesome? You know, if you've been in the faith for a little while, you can, you can ask around and you can talk about what, what do you think your need is. Right now I'm reading the Gospel of Luke. You can read the Gospel of Luke. It's awesome. I just got done reading the Gospel of Mark. You know, 
I decided a couple of weeks ago that I want to spend some time at Jesus' feet. And I just want to focus on Jesus. Because He is my life. But this study today has really helped me a lot. So when I feel temptation to get stressed, I'm just going to focus on the person, not on my future. And then God's going to meet me and He's going to take care of all that other stuff. Amen? Let's go to God in prayer for the communion. And I hope you have an awesome week this week. Let's pray. Our Father God.